All right. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're ready to go again. One hour goes quickly, at least I think that way. Maybe the student doesn't. I don't know. But here we are. It's, it's good. I'm glad that uh, we have already sung to the Lord and your pastor has prayed. It's good. So we now invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach us, don't we, from the Word of God about uh, something that he is concerned with, friendship. But first, let's do a little review. We're going to do a little bit more on this timeline. I don't know why I do this, but uh, it's, it's probably a good idea to give a little structure. Most people don't have much structure when they think about the Old Testament and the dates. We're going to do a little review. Remember that the material we're studying is primarily from King Solomon, the third great king from the United Monarchy. The first one, what was his name? Saul. That's right. So we have Saul. That's at uh, 1050. We'll put him over here. I uh, know to here. 1050 BC. We have David. These are their starting times. Uh, 1010. And we have Solomon. Now he is our main man for this book, 970 BC, the United Monarchy. This is one of the least debated dates in all of archaeology. When we start doing uh, when we start doing biblical study, that date of 970 Solomon's reign, that is a rock-solid one. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of other dates, too. And they're going to get a little bit more cramped here, maybe. They are not going to be proportionate. But there's Abraham. We're going to put him at about 2050 B.C. I'm not going to do this every week, so if you're going to take notes, take them, and these aren't going to be anywhere else. Well, they'll be on the, they'll be on the uh, tape. Abraham. Now, the Exodus, the Exodus I have in my convictions, 1466. Some have a little, di- uh, 1446, have a little bit different thought on that a little later. But that's what I think. 1446. Now at the other end of things here, uh, when Israel had been rebellious for a long time, when they had not uh, kept God's commandments, uh, they were sent into exile in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar came and carried away Many of the fine young people, including Daniel, the other three, and so forth. This was the exile. This took place, the beginning part of it, 605 B.C. And that lasted until about 539 B.C. It was 70 years, and the calculation comes probably from the, from the time when Babylon started encroaching on Israeli uh, sovereignty. So it's about 609 when Babylon started casting its shadow. So then 539 is, uh, is the time when they returned to the land. And we can do some more of this periodically, but that gives you a little bit more structure, something to hang your hat on when it comes to uh, when it comes to the Old Testament as a whole. Friendship. Now, I would like for you to think of each decade of your life. You say, "Oh." Well, if that's too much of a challenge for some, just do the best you can. But in each uh, decade of your life, I would like you to think about your best friend. 
Decade one for me, the Stevens boys. Down the street, didn't leave your neighborhood. That lasted, yes, the beginning of decade two. Rick Calkins, later high school, Dennis Claflin. Seminary, Jim Mook. Then my wife takes over, but I had other friends too. You can rehearse yours. It's one thing to think about how great our friends are. It's another to think, were we, are we good friends? But the Bible puts a great premium on companionship, friendship, and spiritual friendship. So we're going to be talking about this today. I think if you want to have friends... The Bible says you need to show yourself friendly. There are ways to cultivate friends. There are ways to have more friends, better friends. It's a biblical principle. So we're going to think about these today. You have outlines in front of you here, if you'd like to use those. But I'd like to start here with a particular passage that's not in your notes. It is Proverbs 18.24. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, there are some who need to find Jesus in every passage of the Bible. I'm not one. I don't think that he's talking about Jesus. I think he is saying this, there is a human friend who can be so close that that friend is closer than blood. There is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's extraordinarily valuable if we have a person like that. I don't know how many of us do. This is the sort of person to whom we can tell anything and everything. You say, well, I don't do that. Mm, That's too bad. Because there is a friend who sticks so closely that he's closer than blood. So today, if we study these things and apply these things we're going to talk about, we can be more friendly. And being friendly, in a biblical sense, is a, is a Christian thing to do. It is an important thing to do. And our ideas of friendship here, I'm not talking about acquaintance. I'm talking about deep connection that has lasting meaning for us. I normally can get along for a while without too many people. You know by my profession I like to study. So if I'm out with people for about an hour and a half, that's good. Then I like to go back to a book. And I can stay with that for the rest of the day and get my stuff ready. Some of you are more extroverted. You need uh, to be around people more. But I note that about this time each summer, I start getting lonely because I'm not around my normal colleagues. I have some deep relationships on the faculty. Perhaps today you feel lonely. Now, the longer we get along in life, naturally there are others who have passed. They are now with Christ. We perhaps are longing to be with them, but the time has not yet come. So we have choices, don't we? We have choices whether to cultivate relationships in a biblical way, to develop more friends, or to sort of bide our time. But I am saying one can never have too many friends. You just can't, not from a biblical standpoint. So I invite you today into the scriptures as we discuss some aspects of friendship. And here they are. A good friend is constant. A good friend has candor. 
a good friend provides counsel and a good friend has tact. But a good friend is constant. That means we can depend on them on a regular basis. Let's turn in our Bibles to chapter 17, verse 17. Would someone read this, please? We have roving mics. They will not hurt you. So if you want to read, raise your hand, please, and someone will come with that mic. And we're reading Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Thank you. Now here, remember, last week we talked about poetry. We talked about types of, of uh, parallelism. This is synonymous parallelism, isn't it? Because he says here, a friend and a brother, at least it's very close, these two things are being uh, mentioned together. He loves at all times, and he is consistent in times of adversity. This is the person who is always there when we need them. I shouldn't tell you this story, but I guess I will. Well, my wife, oh, by the way, the refrigerator turned out fine. We didn't have to pay anything for it. I didn't have any bad news for my wife when she got home. That was great. All the flowers were still alive. I'd been faithfully watering them. But here's what I did. The way there were some flowers, so we have a split-level home, and up on the second level, there were some flowers. She had two flower pots, and the way you're supposed to water them is go inside and open up the screen and the window and everything. But I figured I'm down, I'm down below watering. I might as well just squirt the hose up there. And that's the way I watered them. While she was gone, it was hot all the time, and the air conditioning was on. Well, I did that last night, too, but the window was open. (laughs) She was really patient with me. I thanked her last night and again today. I really deserved to get it, but I squirted water all over the bed, onto the wooden floor, had to get down on my knees and do orange glow. Really bad. But she was there in adversity. I already felt like a dope, right? Well, she's been there through a lot of things. And I have a number of friends where we have gone through things together. I've had two groups of men that I have gone very deeply with in my life. One was a group of pastors. There were three or four of us. We met together for about five or six years. One Tuesday afternoon a month, we'd go to Old Country Buffet, eat 12.30 on Tuesdays. That's when we met. And we'd just stay the whole afternoon until it was time to eat again. We... (laughs) We didn't feel we should eat a second time on one ticket, so we would leave then. But we'd, we'd spend that time. I've had a group here now uh, since I've been living in this area where I have met with them for about 10 years. We just uh, transitioned out of our group. But we know just about everything about one another. Over 10 years, you meet just about weekly. We didn't make it every week, but many weeks a year. And we would give our testimonies. We would share really in depth from our hearts. And we would stick it out together. You stick it out when your kids aren't going so well. You stick it out when someone loses his job. You stick it out when someone is clinically depressed. A brother is born for adversity. God wants us to have these in-depth relationships. But it's up to us if we're going to be open to these, if we're going to cultivate them. But God, 
You say, oh, God's enough for me. Well, that's true, but God does not intend for us to be loners. God intends for us to exist in community and to have relationship with other people. So part of this thing here is um, in order to have friends, you really want need to want to have friends and uh, you need to be able to cultivate them, to have your heart open for these friendships. This means you need to be there for the person. You need to be there. God provides the friend for a time of adversity. Who can tell us sometime when a friend has come to your aid? Someone like to tell us a story. A friend coming to your aid. Boy, got to wait for that I mic here. Wait. This is the age of technology. Oh, there it is. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I want this to be recorded. But anyway, um, I was working at the hospital, and my husband didn't like me very much. And he decided to get the, uh, the locks changed. And so he had pity on me because I was wearing a uniform, and he was changing the locks, and I couldn't come home. So he dumped all my clothes in a wheelchair and had them brought to the, um, uh, where those security guys are, the policemen at the hospitals. It's not really police, but anyway, um, in the morning, I had no place to go because my house was locked. And so I went to my minister. I couldn't think of anybody else. And my minister... Um, he, he said, okay, I'll see what I can do. So he called up this one lady that was, um, divorced or something. And she said, he said to her, remember that old TV show, um, that you, uh, if you ask somebody something and, um, if they can't do it, it'll disappear in 30 seconds or something. Anyway, he asked her, can you... Can you give this fine lady uh, a home for the weekend until she can get it straightened out? Because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't call a judge. I couldn't do anything for the weekend. Yes. And it was a Labor Day weekend or something like that. And the lady said, fine, I I will take this assignment. And um, she became my friend. Pastor set it up. Yes, thank you. That's a great that's a great story and certainly adverse circumstances too. Thank you. Now, let's uh let's go to another one along the same lines here 2710. Now, remember, we don't study these in context because uh it's just the nature of these that they're spread all over the place, so you have to harvest these. So if we're reading through the book of Proverbs and our mind is on the topic of friends, 2710 is another one that we might grab. What does that one say? Someone read this. Wrong end. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Thank you. So, uh, well, I don't know how many of your father's friends are around. Sorry about that. But there's a principle here, and that is the family friend is your friend. The family friend is your friend. Well, that is a principle that maybe goes against our culture because as Americans, we don't think of ourselves as members of community. We think of, I do what I want, right? I am an Amer-. But, you know, that, that idea that I, I'm just flying solo 
is not a biblical idea. So here's the concept. If I have a friend who's been around the family for many a year, I am bound to their care. If my dad has a friend, if my brother has a friend, you are to stick with them and help them in whatever way you may have opportunity. Do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. It's better to have a friend in Oak Brook than a sister in Cleveland. Now that's the truth. That's a practical point. It's a comfort to have a brother or a sister, not real blood, but maybe better than blood and certainly more proximate than blood. Uh, You're out on the highway, you get a flat tire, Brother in Cleveland, he'll say, yeah, I'll pray for you. Thanks. He's of no use at all. But the other person can come by. In a time when you're struggling with something, hurting, that person a mile away can come and sit with you, comfort you. That's a wonderful thing. So these these friends... Stick with us. Good friends are constant. Can share joys. Can share sorrows with these people. This is the individual you know they're going to be there at a given time. So, constancy. Sticking with it. Now, in each one of these things... I think we should say to ourselves, if we have a friend like this, thank you, Father. If we don't, Lord, I would like to have a friend like that. And also, I would like to be a better friend. Sometimes it's not convenient to be a friend. I have uh, a, a good associate of mine, a guy I've known for a long time, who's been going through some Very difficult times. I gave him a call the other day. That friend wanted to talk. And he talked for two hours. Praise the Lord. You would have thought he was my sister. But never mind that. But he had need. And and there have been times when he's, he's listened to me. We've talk things out over time. So that's constant. You have to be able to depend on a good friend. All right, now there's something else here too. Any discussion on that? About sticking with a friend? Anything you want to say? One of the things I have learned is friendship is a two-way street. Yes. Yes, that's right. He wants friends, must show himself friendly. All right, now, here, I'm only going to be with you a little while so I can say things and then, you know. Sometimes when I preach, I have my wife keep the car running at the door. (laughs) That's not true. Um, This, this... I'm lonely business. If you're lonely, look, do something about it. Make yourself available. Get yourself out in a service area. Uh, It's great you're here in circumstances like this. You can find friends. If you pray about this and and then get out and and, uh, value this relationship. Well, yes, sir. Oh, Neglecting your family to taking care of a friend. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. 
that the question was basically the priority between family and friend and how do you know how much time to invest in a friend when you have family responsibilities? Well, I think your, your family responsibility comes first, but it's not far divided. I think you have to negotiate that with your family. And you have to uh, make sure that first relationship with wife and children is served. But we're also... Uh, to take care of your family in a way is to take care of yourself. You just can't do that all the time. We need to get out away from our own families and think about the other person's family too, right? So there's no absolute answer to that. But sometimes we need boundaries. Maybe the friend's a little too demanding and you have to flex with this. But I would say prayer and keep talking. Talk to your family. Talk to your friend. Try to negotiate on some of these things. Is that helpful? That's right. One of the things we need, open communication, don't we? If you're going to have friendship, sometimes you've got to let things rip a little bit. Right? That's true of a marriage, too. Sometimes it just has to come out there, and if there's going to be a little conflict, so be it, and then you get things ironed out. Thing. Yes? Yeah, 15 years ago, I met um, at Loyola in the cafeteria, one of the uh, checkout ladies, black lady, and we became friends. She would sing hymns at the register, and she was a singer, and she actually came to our church and sang. I became severely ill in 2001, same time as the 9-11 thing. Um, she came and visited me in my house. She drove over from Chicago, wow. prayed with me. Uh-huh. Later, I found out that she asked her sister uh, to join her in prayer at noon every day for me. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, we have helped her. The church has helped her financially. Um, but then she had a stroke, a job-ending stroke at age 63, 64. And I've seen her since. She had a second stroke. She was a patient at Loyola. But now she's in a convalescent home. And I guess I feel a little guilty when you talk about how good a friend am I. How often do I go? And I've always argued, well, I'm working. And I can't say it anymore. So thank you for um, encouraging me to maybe help her even more now. Yes, well, thank Thank you you. for your sensitivity to the text. And God, I think, would honor that if you you do that. And it, it, it goes to say, without saying that, Uh, There's so much satisfaction in these relationships. Whenever we pour into another person, we get just as much back. And uh, this is how we're made. We're made in the image of God to be relational, right? Uh, The Trinity itself, I'm not going to get off too much on this, but the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all relational. Uh, They love each other. They interact with one another. We're made in their image to be relational beings as well. So anyway... When you're a good friend, you need to stick with it. Also, a good friend has candor. This means sometimes you tell it like it is. 27, 5 through 6. I'll read this one. Oh, boy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know that person, they, right? In fact, they're called kiss-ups. They just always, they got all the sweet words and all this. Sweet talkers, right? Okay, so I heard a song. It's not a new song, but it was new to me by the Georgia Satellites. And in this song, there's a, there's a sweet-talking guy, but the lady says to him, put your line on the shelf and keep your hands to yourself. Put your line on the shelf. Put it in your pocket. Don't just talk. But look here, 
A good friend, though, sometimes rebukes. And the wounds from a friend can be trusted. Oh, now. That's a tough one sometimes. But if you, if your friendship can't stand a correction, it's not a friendship. The correction might go like this. You. I really love you and you know that we've gone down the line together on some things, but I, I just notice that sometimes you say some things that are not just exactly factual. You exaggerate them. You put other people in a, in a you know, you create a poor vision of other people that is not exactly true. I really like for you to think about that. You see? Or you might say, you go out, you ride your motorcycle without a helmet. What are you thinking? What are you thinking about? Now, if you've got a friendship, it can stand up under these things. The other thing is you have to be able to take it. Some people are prickly pears. Well, don't you tell me what to do. You know, God has given us people in our lives to do exactly that. I remember in some of my, my groups, times with, with guys, and we would say, well... I've been thinking about doing this. What do you think? And they'd say, no, you can't do it. Now, you're all fired up to do this thing. They say, no, no. Well, there are three of us that think it's a bad idea. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. It's not exactly a rebuke. But when you get stung, a wise person Eventually, maybe not right away, but a wise person comes to the point of saying, thank you. I needed that. It hurt me a little bit, but I needed it. Well, when should we say these things? When, when should we do this? Well, you have to be careful. You have to pray about this. Pray for the right opportunity. But you have to administer the correction sometimes if you're a good friend. You might say, why do you you talk to her like that? Man, you're my friend. Why do you talk to her like that? You really should not do that. Why do you treat him that way? You say, well, it's none of your business. Indeed it is. Why is it my business? Because I'm your friend. You see, if it's not your business, then it's not a friend. It's just an acquaintance. It's somebody whose name you know, and you hang around, and your relationship is so superficial that you never get down under the surface in any way. That's not a friend. But at some point with a friend. See, the world doesn't think of friendships this way. As much. I like uh, sports in this way. You usually tell it like it is on a ball team. The point guard, basketball point guard, guy handling the ball. I used to play with a guy, and once in a while I'd throw the ball away. He said, man, you, you do it once. I mean, everybody does that. But you say, you do it twice, he'd come down the court, he'll say to you as he goes by, man, you're killing us with those turnovers. You're killing us. That's all he has to say. Okay, yeah, I know. Do I get all uptight? No, it's obvious. It's true. So ask yourself, if you hear something like that from somebody, can you take it? We should long for that kind of a relationship. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not nearly as Christ-like as I need to be. There's, here I am and there's Jesus way over there. We're trying to close that gap. In order for that to happen, some people need to tell me, Dan, you're wrong about that. You're too stubborn. No, you think you're right. So forth. So some people tell you, Dan, you think you're right. I do even after they show me why I'm wrong, I still think I'm right. That's what I mean, why do you think I'm a professor? The students don't dare to say that stuff. Well, okay. But no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong sometimes. I need to be told that. All right. Well, let's, let's, oh, he has candor. Now, 28, 23. 28. 23. I'm going to read one more and then I'll let you get back at it in a little while. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Later on you say, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes men don't like to hear from their wives. Does anybody ever notice that? Probably not. It's only in my circles. One of my uh, one of my friends said one day we were talking, and uh, this was really more of a broad acquaintance, but he said, I tell my students, listen to what your wife says and do it. Well, I don't let my wife listen to any of these sessions. She thinks I'm bowling right now. No, that's not true. That's not true. Husbands and wives need to be able to tell each other the truth without somebody getting all uptight about it. Just have to have to be able to do that. It's a wonderful thing when we have someone who will do this because it is a risk. It's a risk. To take that risk is an act of love because when I step out to correct a friend, I don't know how he's going to receive it. But if I love him more than I love my comfort, I will venture out and do this. So while that friend's always there, the friend is sometimes going to say, change is in order. All right. So, a good friend is constant. He has candor. And now he provides counsel. He helps guide us. She helps guide us. Would someone read 27.9? Now, I don't know about you. We move through these quickly. Any one of these can grab us. We could meditate on it for a while, couldn't we? So we're, yes, 27.9. Thank you. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Mm-hmm. Yes, tell us the story. Um, Our third child, a a boy, was born, and at three months, um, he evidenced a bulging fontanelle and a high fever. Uh -uh. Our third son uh, uh, was three months old, and he had uh, developed a a bulging fontanelle and a high fever. And um, I had the two younger children with me. It, it happened to be Good Friday. And Bob was at work and could not be reached. Um, so my neighbor took the children and the two older ones, and I took the baby to the doctor, and he immediately put him in the hospital. Um, the first thing they did was put him on a uh, an ice bed, and then they did a spinal tap, and at that point, I knew nothing, but I knew I had to go home and take care of the other two children. 
and try to get a hold of Bob, and I couldn't get a hold of him. So the next thing I did was call my pastor and told him the story, and I said, please pray for the whole family, but pray for this little boy. And so at that point, I felt like I had done everything I could, and I stopped to take a breath. And I offered our son up to the Lord, and I said, he's yours. You love him as much as we do, if not more. Uh, May your will be done. And with that, the phone rang, and it was my pastor calling back, and he said, I've called three friends, and they're praying for you. I still get goosebumps. (laughs) Yes, those prayers are wonderful, aren't they? That's one of the commitments we make in these relationships, too. Yes, thank you for your story. Well, 27.9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. Once in a while, some company will call me on the phone and they want me to try a product. About 10 years ago, they sent me some really, really expensive cologne. Really expensive. I mean, really. It's, it's being tested. So they say, we want you to try this for two or three months, see what happens. I liked it. Just put a little dab on every once in a while. Then they called me up later and said, would you spend such and such dollars per ounce for this cologne. I thought to myself, are you kidding me? <laughs> I said, it was good, but it wasn't that good. Okay. All right. But I'm telling, oh, it smells so good. It smells so good. Well, you have that favorite perfume, some of you ladies. So you wear that, right? You go down to that local store and you say, it's too expensive, but I'm going to get it anyway. Can't die with it, and so forth. So you have that. So is the pleasantness of a friend's earnest counsel. Earnest counsel. Provide counsel. What shall I do in these circumstances? I don't know what to do. I have examined the facts. I don't know what I should do. This is when you need to sit and talk, not just with one person, but numerous people, right? You get their perspectives. And you don't consult just any bobo, right? You consult spiritual people. You consult people who know you well and know the Lord well because your life is on the line. And that earnest counsel is a valuable thing because they're going to be used by God's Holy Spirit to direct you. God doesn't write these things up in the sky. Part of our walk with him means having an intimate walk with other people who can help direct us too. Did you have a question, something you wanted to say? This might be going back just a little bit, but I want to mention it. Unfortunately, we live at a time now where we want to be helpful and we meet people that are helping us, but they're total strangers when they come to us. As an example, when I came home from the hospital terribly ill, I had to have a driver. There was no way that I could. I had a legitimate license, but there was no way I could drive. So I called and had a taxi take me a couple of times. I'm not going to mention the name because it's not true of all their drivers. But over the course of about two months that I had this man driving me, he was well-groomed. He was an African-American man, and that's beside the point he was... Charming. He had a lot of personality, and he was a man probably about, oh, maybe in his late 40s, 50s. And over the time, we became good friends. He told me about his family and about 
you know, the children that he had. He had three sons that evidently accomplished a lot. They had a uh, they all had scholarships to new places. And we became really close. We'd have lunch together, and we'd go out, and I'd take him in, sometimes a little, looking at me a little odd coming in, you know, but uh, uh, we, we had lunch, and, and uh, he was up to the apartment to, to bring clothes things up for me. And this went on for about, oh, I would say probably around three months or so. And one day he called me and he stepped, when he brought me home, he brought the groceries for me. And he said, you know, Loretta, he said, I'd like to uh, talk to you about something, but I don't think this is a good time. May I call you a little later in the day? And I said, sure you can. I said, you know, whatever it is, call me and we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. So he called me and he said, I'm really embarrassed to say this to you because he said, you've been so nice to me and all, but he said, I'm really in a hard situation. And he said, uh, I drive this car, and incidentally, he was driving a nice new Cadillac of his own. I should have been paid some attention to it, dressed very well. And uh, he said to me, um, but I'm in a terrible situation. I bought this Cadillac, he said, and the brakes went bad. And he said, uh, I went to the dealership, and they wanted $150 to have this fixed. And he said, you know, I really am a little short of that cash now. Could you loan me $150? And I thought to myself, this is a scam. He was setting me up because that's what they are doing, and that's what the police told me later. I couldn't press charges against him. He didn't do anything. He just asked me for money. And fortunately, I didn't give it to him. But I reported him to the police, and I said, you know, I want you to know that this scam is going on right in our area. And he said, I know it. And he said, you know, there are some women that actually gave him $50. Some gave him 150 because he was so charming and so nice. Then they promise you that they will pay you back in a month. After the month is up, they say, you know, I'm just still having these problems. Could you possibly give me a little less? And then... They, they'll give it back about two times, and then they hit you for the big amount. Hmm. And if you're foolish enough to give them $500, this is exactly the pattern they used. And when I told the police about it, he said, you know, if you have friends in your area or something, tell the ladies that this charming speaking man, this charmer and all, is not to be trusted. He's a gang. He's one of a group that pulls this. And, you know, it's so disheartening. I actually cried when I I thought... He was so nice, and we had yeah. such a nice, you know, relationship as a client and as a, as a customer, and there was. Well, yes, we need discretion in our relationships. So we're not saying here uh, that we just open up our hearts to people right away and all the way open. That has to come gradually. This is why you need to test relationships, right? So... You may have a relationship with this person and this person, three or four of them. Only one of them is going to go into depth. Yes, the, the scam artist is after you know, taking advantage of your, your good trust and so forth. Uh, so we do need discretion. Nevertheless, not fear of relationships. So we keep, we keep working with these we keep, I, I want to move along just a little bit because we're only uh, down to three here. Oh, but 27.17, 27.17, maybe the sparks will fly. 27.17, what is this one? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Oh, yeah. Iron sharpens iron. This is from the ancient world, right? You have an implement, and you're going to sharpen it. You do it today, too, on a wet stone or something, right? You do that, and if you get these things going up, sparks. Sparks. Uh, one of these things actually gets worn down a little bit. Isn't that what happens when a knife gets sharpened? A little bit of the knife is gone, isn't it? Isn't that true? Iron sharpens iron. So here's a problem with the maturity of the church. Churches are sometimes immature for this reason. People are so very 
nice. We just couldn't be any nicer at Oak Brook Church. Well, sometimes nice is immature, right? Sometimes nice is shallow. I'm not saying that about you. But look, if you're not in a relationship where there's sparks sometimes, my, my group that I met with those 10 years, there were a couple times we wondered if we were going to survive. Because you just say something, somebody gets mad. Okay, man, maybe it went a little too far, but you know, I'm not really going to take it back either. Iron sharpens iron. Here's, here's what it says literally. So uh, one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. What does that mean? All right. In the Bible, the countenance of the face reflects the spirituality of the person. Remember when Cain slaughtered Abel? God came to him and said, why is your face downcast? Right? Do the right thing, you'll be lifted up. So the point here in this passage is, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. It means this, when you get in there and you do this spiritual work, the person is, is improved spiritually and the countenance shows it. I don't even want to get into parents who are afraid of their children. Oh, Oh, what if, what if he doesn't approve of what I'm saying? The child. I'm talking about dealing with young ones and so on. Man, afraid of your kid? Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Oh, you have to wait here. We traveling Mike. You're going, we're going public here. Is this a confession? No? Okay. Uh Another point of view comes from the hymn that says, Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore, but to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let your Lord light be burning, cast a gleam across the wave. Some poor struggling helpless seaman, you may rescue, you may save. That's right. So as we are friendly toward others, we may have an opportunity to share the best news of all, right? The news of the Savior who has died on the cross for us. So that is the best thing we can tell anybody, even if they don't want to hear it. God's good. Memorizing those hymns is good stuff. Appreciate that. All right, here's this last one for today. A good friend has tact. I was going to try to force another C. You see how important that is, but it didn't work. So tact. Now this means in all of this, there is a balance to your words. The way we say something is important. You say, well, every time I correct somebody, they get mad. That could be you. Well, I just tell it like it is. Don't do that. I just say what's on my mind. That's a big mistake. Twenty-five seventeen. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and he will hate you. No comments needed on that one. Well, here's a little thing that helps sometimes. A little distance 
improves the relationship. There is too much of a good thing. You might rather have your friends say, I've missed you lately, rather than when you are coming, they say, oh, not again. (laughs) Not again. It's an interesting thing. You you, You... you draw back, the person comes to you. So sometimes if you just stand away a little bit, that, that relationship gets renewed again. How do I know if it's too much? Just, just think about it. Say, well, I can just walk into their house anytime. That's a great relationship. That's a great relationship. Just don't do it too often. Especially if they're armed. <laughs> yeah, doggy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we used to live out in the country, and uh, you're out in the farm area sometimes. You'd be a couple miles from a neighbor, and you go up to the door there, and they have, they have the uh, signs, you know, enter at your own risk, or this house is armed, or say hello to the dog. Those kind of things. Yeah, beware, and you never know for sure. But those walk-in relationships, it's great if you have them, but just ask yourself, uh, maybe we've been together, maybe I've been taking advantage of the hospitality a little bit too much, and I should back off a bit. Now this next one, 2520. It's right next door. Someone read that. 2520. Here. I do. Read all the time. <laughs> like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. All right. Here we need to watch out for our Christian theology. The person's down. They're hurting. And you say, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. It's true, but that's not the time to say it. It's not the time to say it. need to be careful of this, don't we? need to be careful about when our friends are hurting what we say. During the NCAA basketball tournament, I am a not a Michigan State fan. Do you know we made it six times to the final four in the last, th- well, thir- never mind, that last 13 years. Well, when my team gets beat, I don't want somebody saying, we made it and you didn't. woo <laughs> My friends do that, but that's not really serious stuff, right? But you need to be careful when your friend's hurting that you're not telling all your glad stories. You go there and you weep with those that weep. And you hold down your own joy over something that's happened. You keep your story to yourself while your friend grieves. Your emotions are put in check for the sake of theirs. We need help, don't we, from the Holy Spirit in these things. Uh, to know when to apply what principle. That discretion that we get from practicing, from reading the Proverbs, from trusting in the Lord, these things uh, are going to help us to know how to apply what situation in what way.
I pray these things will be helpful. Friendship. We, this hour just goes, it seems like I blitz you. But this is going to be most helpful to you if sometime in the coming week you're able to sit, read these references again. Pray about them. Reinforce them. Oh, one thing too, I was going to say this at the beginning. Uh, the word for in the Bible is hakman. I told you to use that more gutturally last time. If you don't remember this, that's okay, but I do. It's hakma. It's soft. I don't know what I was thinking, but nevertheless, let's come back now to the theme of friendship. Uh, he wants a friend. He must show himself friendly. I challenge you with this. If you're lonely, if you'd like a friend, if you'd like to be a, a better follower of Christ, pray about God putting you in circumstances to meet new people or to go more deeply into a relationship which you have presently. It will bring great reward. I guarantee you that. I tell you that on the authority of Scripture. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for these good people who have given their lives to you. We pray that you will help each of us to be a better intimate companion, a better biblical friend. Give us insight. Help us where we are deficient in our relationships to be more alert and perhaps there is someone in our circles right now with whom we could develop a, a lasting relationship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.